The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Warren Ingram, good evening to you. Warren is a director at Galileo Capital. He's a personal financial advisor. I got an email today from Robert. I don't know if you saw the email. I did forward it to you. I'm hoping not catching you on the on the back foot. Yeah, he's talking about money market type funds versus unit trusts and others and the way in which uh, returns are compounded. Now, compounding is powerful. And we're going to talk about compounding in just a bit when it comes to dividends. But Robert says, your money market t- type funds are giving between 65 and 7.5% compound interest daily, weekly, monthly, etc. Unit trusts, on the other hand, don't provide compounding interest, but rather at certain times, dependent on unit trust distributions of interest and dividends at certain periods. Let's say per year, on average, balanced unit trusts and income funds give between 8 and 10% growth. The question is, where does one actually make the most growth when it comes from compounding? Do you want your money to be compounding daily, weekly, or monthly? How does it work, Warren? It's a um, it's actually a brilliant question because it points to the confusion created by product providers. Um, you know, these are the banks uh, and the unit trust companies because y- you'll often see uh, an advert that says, you know, get up to you know eleven fourteen percent, yeah. Yeah, but and then there's a little star next to that, and then you go and read it, and it says, you know, that percentage is only valid if you invest, you know, lots of money, and you leave it, uh, and you leave it invested for five years. Then the compound annual growth rate or the effective annual rate will be fourteen percent. Uh, but if you go and work it out backwards, and you say, well. You know what will I get if I only leave the money in for three years and not the five years, and and then all of a sudden it's not fourteen percent; it's something less. Uh, and and so the, you know the the confusion kicks in with uh, firstly w- w- the exact uh, time period that you're investing the money, and, and then also what what is what is the rate that you're being quoted? Is it the nominal interest rate or the the compound compounding rate? Mm. So is it the the actually effective rate? So j- just to explain that very quickly. If I have, uh, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm in liking Robert's uh, examples. I just, I did, did a bit of calculations myself. So I said, well, you know, take a hundred thousand rand, and and then and and I'm going to earn seven percent a year on a on a money market investment. Um, and if it's just seven percent uh, interest, not compounding or anything, then I'm going to get at the end of the 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 the, the year, I'm going to have uh, you know seven percent. On a hundred thousand rand, in other words, one hundred and seven thousand rand. That's right. that's the number I'm going to to get. And and so, if you had a compounding rate, it would be a slightly different thing because what what, what would then happen is you would say, well, you're you're earning some money after day one, and it will earn a little bit of interest. And if you had to calculate that interest, which I'm not going to do now, but but it would be, you know, the 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 seven thousand rand divided by. 365 days and then you know you add that to the initial investment that you made and and then you would earn seven percent on the hundred thousand rand plus a tiny little an extra few cents and yeah. so that that amount starts to compound uh, and and so at the end of the year you're, you you won't have a hundred and seven thousand rand you'll you'll have a little bit more than 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 the hundred and seven thousand rand 
So, so the answer is that you, you would like an investment to, to compound as frequently as possible. Uh, the, the reality is that there are going to be very few investments that will compound daily. So, so what they'll usually do is they'll say to you, you know, it will compound, uh, you know, most of the time it'll be compounded monthly. Um, and, and so we're, we're talking about a slight uh, improvement, but I think to, to one point, Robert, it's, it's not, um, it's not a massive difference. So if someone says to you, I'm going to compound your investment daily, or I'm going to compound it monthly, uh, um, you know, the, the most important thing is what what is the actual kind of in, um, benchmark interest rate that they're compounding on? Is it 7% or is it 10%? Because that makes a huge difference. Compounding daily or monthly over even a five-year period, it, it, it's, it's going to work out to maybe point, you know, 0.025% difference in in your growth, uh, one way or the other. So, so, so the truth is, you actually you you, you want to focus on the on the main number, the six point five percent or seven percent, uh, and and then focus on that. The the, the way that Unitrust report, I think, just be careful because Unitrusts distribute. The, the income that they've generated on, on an infrequent basis, and as he says, and he's right, you know, money market funds might do that monthly or quarterly, or or, or and, and then you know other funds, income funds might only do it every six months or, or every year. That doesn't mean that they're not compounding the money inside the unit trust while it's growing. So, so the one is about a distribution. In other words, it's a mechanical thing. When when will they pay out that interest that you're earning? Uh, and and the more important thing is how is it growing. And and he points it out in his question, which is great. He's saying, well, you know, it could, it could be somewhere around eight or ten percent, and that's the bigger number. So so the reality is, don't focus on the daily compounding, uh, etc. Look, look at uh, who, who's offering the best rate of interest. The bank account might give you a guaranteed rate. The bank might say, we actually guarantee an interest rate of 7% for the next year, uh, whereas the, the income unit trust or the money market unit trust can only show you what the interest was over the last 12 months. And they can say, well, we, we, we show an indicative yield. In other words, this is what we believe the current amount of money is generating as interest and the indicative yield might be 8%. But but that is not a guarantee. So so you know go, going for slightly more interest and aiming for a bit more growth on your money via the unit trust, especially once you go from a money market unit trust to an uh, income fund, uh, you are taking on slightly more risk. Re really, the risk that the interest doesn't get paid or that it's less than you hoped. Uh, whereas the, the the bank account might be much more certain. Uh, so so depending on how much you value value certainty over. Growth, uh, you can make the call. To me, I'm I'm generally going to default to the unit trust. Uh, um, you, you know that that pays a bit more interest. That they have a very good history of doing it. I think only in the time when African Bank uh, hit the wall was the only time I can recall South African money market funds not paying the interest that they were they were they were planning to pay out. Got you on that one. Thank you, and I, I hope Robert that that helps you because it's a it's a great question and it's a it's a really important issue to understand. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for your question, Robert. On to another one, and this is a compounding of a different can, kind. Can, can, no, right? Can we yes. stop, Bruce, and can we just get on our soap? Well, can I get on my soap? Oh, you second? get on your but, soapbox. Hold on, let me just get out the way. Oh. Right there, we go. Let me stretch. So, so the question is a valid and brilliant question. It also points out uh, th that we're allowing these banks and product providers, and I'm, and I'm going across the money markets, all of them, to, to, to kind of you know, confuse the issue when it can be really simple. I mean, there should just yeah. be one number. 
if you invest your money for five years, they can get, you know, they can just set a standard. The compound annual growth rate will be X or the effective annual interest rate will be X. And not, not in, you know, with, with the little asterisks and then right in the fine print. That's absolute nonsense. It's misleading stuff. Please don't do it. Treat us like adults. We, we're trusting you with our money. Why don't you trust us with valid information? I'm off my soapbox. It, it, no, 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 no. Stay on the soapbox um, because it, it goes to what does an investment actually cost? Um, and, 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 and that is the other one where there have been efforts over the years to try and clarify the real costs of investment, but it's just like the the number of descriptors and the number of obfuscations in the process of saying this is what your your investment actually costs you is also one that beggars belief. Okay, I'm I'm busy rolling up my sleeve now. So <laughs> so uh, y- yes, and and I think there are double standards as well when it comes to this because you, you look at the unit trust industry. Uh, you, you know the reason that the unit trust industry, uh, you know, now decades ago started and and became very powerful was because there was a huge amount of frustration on behalf of many of us with the insurance companies and their investments and and the absolute opaque nature of the way they charged and the way they invested and actually how they calculated returns. And so the unit trust industry came about promising a, 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 a level of transparency which we had never seen before. And that that certainly was the case. But then everybody entered that industry. More, uh, you know, more practitioners came in, and and wanted a leg up and 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 in a way, a kind of an advantage over their their competitors. So so they started to fudge the numbers, and and then you know they, they kept on setting standards. And you know, first it was, uh, I can't even remember. It's it's so boring now because because it's been such a long drawn out story. But but we're kind of right now with total investment charge. That that's the one that you know you would say, okay, so is that all the costs? Well, it's most of the costs, sir. It's actually not really all the costs. And and then when you look at the insurance companies, you know, they they adapt and they'll say, hang on, you know, if you look at the product that we're we're selling you today, yes, it's really expensive if you buy it in and, and you look at it over one year, it's gonna cost you, you know, five and a half percent. But if you stay invested for the next five years, Gee, by by the fifth year, it's only going to cost you three point three percent, and and so the way they're framing you, because this is really what they're doing, it's it's using psychology against you, is they're showing you how this investment is, you know, rapidly declining in fees, so you feel like you're getting a great deal if you stay invested for five years, whereas if you look at the fifth year return, a uh, fifth year costs of three point three percent. And then you go and look at, uh, you know, bog standard index tracking unit trust or exchange traded fund, which only costs you 0.4%. That's the benchmark. That's what they should be saying is we're charging you 3.3. You can get 4.4%. We are 2.5% more expensive than anybody else or nearly 3% more expensive than anybody else. This is the reason why we're more expensive. That that would be transparency. That They won't like that, of course, so they're not going to do it. Yeah. Okay, let's get off the soapbox. <laughs> Down. Um, and talk about another form of compounding, uh, the, the, the power of dividends. Uh, a dividend is, very simply put, a share of profits. At the end of the year, company has got extra money um, and it's got a couple of things it could do with it. It could um, invest in growth. It, could, you know, it might take a bit of the money and go and invest in new growth opportunities. But investors like to get a dividend. They like to be paid some money from the company in which they're invested. What is the power and the purpose of that dividend in your hands, Warren? 
So, so let, let's imagine you and I uh, decided 30 years ago uh, um, that, that we were going to just do something really basic. We were each going to take some money. We were going to put it into uh, something really simple like the stock market index. And, and then uh, on the application form to buy this investment, because, you know, it's 30 years ago, there was no such thing as online trading. Uh, you, you ticked the box because you, you were well informed that said, any dividends I earn, just reinvest them in the same index. I, I wasn't so well informed. So I just said, well, I'll, I'll take those dividends. Thank you very much. I'm going to go and spend them, uh, but leave my money here for the same time period as you. 30 years later, the, the, the amount of money you've got is nearly double the amount of money I've got. And, and all you did was you ticked a box that I didn't tick. The box you ticked was take those dividends, buy exactly the same index, which is then just the exact same basket of shares that, that Warren's got, but just keep buying them no, no matter what, as soon as the, I've got cash available from the dividends that the, those shares are paying. And 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 you 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 get the double the return. I get I get half. So so how, how do we explain that? And it it's about the the those shares uh, that you own uh, being bought in every single market condition there is over the last thirty years. And and it's about buying, for example, when those dividends come out and and the stock market's falling and the headlines are terrible. Uh, you, you know, you, you're not worrying about that because you just ticked one box and automatically those dividends are, are, are being reinvested in those self-same companies and, and uh, you know, often at a really low price. Uh, and, and, and so you carry on. And, and when the economies are booming and those companies are making lots of profits, they're generating a lot more dividends. And, and so there, there is more cash to buy more shares. And so things just keep going. And, and, and that's the, the, the power of, of something, uh, th this compounding that you're talking about. Uh, and that can only happen if you constantly reinvest the dividends all the time. And, and that's the mistake that a, a lot of investors make with, with, with investing in shares is that they... And, and we're talking serious money here. I mean, I've got some figures here that suggest that if you'd invested $10,000 in the S&P 500, which is um, the, the, sort of the best sort of benchmark of American companies and investments. If you've done it over a 30-year period, so from the year before the democratic election of South Africa, uh, of the ANC into to run South Africa, if you'd bought um, $10,000 worth of S&P 500 and you'd left it there till today, now on your, the basis of your investment, you would have got you would have $88,000 sitting in your investment account, which is a fair chunk of change. I, however, out of my $10,000, because I'd reinvested dividends over 30 years, I don't know why you didn't tell me this 30 years ago, um, I would have $154,000, literally twice as much as you. Um, and that is through doing absolutely nothing. By simply putting $10,000 into a, an investment, leaving it to molder away through... 9-11, through Iraq war after Iraq war, the global financial crisis, the COVID meltdown, all of that stuff, $10,000 has become $154,000 by ticking the invest the dividends box. You're absolutely right. And just for a little piece of additional context, it also included that, that that little thing which doesn't seem so big anymore, which was the, the IT bubble bursting, yes. uh, which caused the, 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 the S&P 500 to do absolutely nothing for an entire decade. It, it, investors made no money for 10 years out of the study year period, and you still doubled your money. And, and so it is a really powerful thing to do. And 
and I think the, the the reason why I'm so keen to talk about it now is because we're in an extremely volatile time right around the world. You know, there there are lots of reasons to be to be deeply fearful about economies and you know our economy. What what's going to happen to our economy with load shedding, et cetera, et cetera. You know, globally, you know, interest rates are high, inflation rates are high. We don't know what's happening in the Ukraine. You know, we don't know how uh, you know China's sorting itself out. Lots of great reasons to be quite worried. And 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 the message here is. There were lots of great reasons all along in the last 30 years to be really worried and, and you know, not worrying about it, not thinking about it, and just, you know, staying invested and, and reinvesting the dividends time and time again was an enormously powerful thing to do for your personal kind of financial freedom. And, and I, I'm absolutely convinced that the same thing repeats itself for the next 30 years. And, and that's the point here is don't worry about uh, what's going on and why we're being told to be afraid. We're always being told to be afraid. There, every one or three or five or seven years, something's happening. Uh, there's some prognosticator that you know usually comes you know from a huge bank or a huge asset manager. Seems deeply credible, telling you that the world's going to end again. Uh, and and so the temptation then is to say, well, maybe I should just sell the shares I've got or, gee, I've got some dividends and, and maybe I'm not going to invest those now because yeah. I'm really worried that the economy is going to go into recession and these businesses are not going to do well. Well, don't do that. The, 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 the behavioral punishment there is you lose half of the growth that you can get. Yeah. And, and so and, and that half of the growth is probably the difference between a great kind of financial freedom life or an average one and and i don't me, want you know, that's i don't want to do this calculation because it's going to upset me too much but imagine if you've taken <laughs> that initial ten thousand dollars and you'd done the ticking the box of the dividend um and you'd reinvest your dividends and your ten thousand grew 15 times to one hundred and fifty four thousand dollars. but imagine over that same period of time every month you just had a de- debit order for a hundred dollars going to the same investment with the same little box ticked and you would have seen that you would have seen I, I i no i don't i'm not doing that calculation it's upsetting me too much yeah. just even thinking about it yeah. um what i can yeah. tell you is i saw a tweet today uh, out of the united states saying that michigan the us state of michigan has become the 14th state in the united states to mandate personal finance education before high school graduation uh, a quote uh, here from uh, the Michigan governor, I suppose, every young Michigan-er, Mich- Michiganer um, deserves to know how to budget, save and invest their money wisely so they can get off to a great start after high school where they go to college, start working or open a small business. The law will go into effect for students starting eighth grade in the 23-24 school year. 14 states in the United States, mandatory personal finance education, teaching the sort of stuff that we're talking about this evening it's it's critical isn't it i i i mean i've got such a nice solution for them surely the you know the, the, there's this thing called the the personal finance podcast on on money show and <laughs> you know, we should just send it to them uh, and and you know we they can just you know go, go back on all the shows we've done and 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 they've got a yeah. syllabus set up for themselves and explained very nicely and you know they are americans so we can maybe just slow down the speed a little bit for them uh-huh. they'll get it and we and, were doing and, so and, well. We had a business up until that moment. We had a business. Quick question <laughs> from Ilza. Ilza's got a problem that we all wish we had. We don't wish ill on anybody, but some, you know, we all wish there was an aunt we'd never heard of who died. And so it would be very sad that this person had died, but we didn't know them, so it doesn't upset us. Um, Ilza has received an inheritance from an aunt overseas, currently sitting in pounds in a bank account. 
Should I leave it in cash for now and wait till markets pick up? Don't swear at Ilza, Warren. Um, firstly, Ilza, I won't swear at you, but but I, I am going to say to you that the best favor I can give you is please make sure you just speak to a tax person because uh, you, you are 100% allowed and entitled to earn an inheritance from overseas, uh, but, but you can't just uh, not tell anybody, especially at, at, at our friends at SARS, they, they need to know that this is now something that you own. Uh, and and that in the future you'll be paying them some tax on on the interest or growth or dividends that that you're earning from that investment. So so first thing is uh, the, the 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 authorities in SA do need to know about this, uh, and just get t- some tax advice about how how that how you need to do that. Um, in, in terms of the 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 second part, uh, you, you know, do you do you leave it in cash? Um, I, I think it's nice to see interest rates rising overseas if you're a cash investor and it, you know, it feels very comforting when you were earning nothing on your pounds a couple of months ago and suddenly you're earning a few, you know, you know, a few percent and it's nice to see that going up every now and then. The, the, the truth is that uh, the, the stock market is really cheap all around the world. Uh, you know, the, all of the valuations of global markets, South Africa included, but, but uh, you know, developed markets as well, that those, those markets are all trading below their fair value. In other words, the big for sale sign, Black Friday, is happening in the stock market right now. And you really should not be sitting on the sidelines with cash, just earning that comforting bit, bit of interest because you're missing out on, on the next decades of, of growth that could change your life fundamentally with the inheritance you've got. So, so I think if you want to change your life for the better, uh, then, then do yourself a favor, start investing. Don't put it all in in one shot. You know, t- take six months if, you, if you're a little bit cautious or even longer. Take 12 months. But invest that money into the stock markets. Uh, don't be clever about it. Just the world market is absolutely fine. Buy an index if you need to uh, and, and invest it. You won't be sorry in 30 years' time. You can send me and Bruce a, a thank you card. To the Shady Pines Retirement Home. <laughs> <laughs> send, uh, send spare teeth and soft marshmallows as well. <laughs> Warren Ingram from Galileo Capital. Thank you very, very much indeed. Warren, personal financial advisor, director at Galileo Capital. Fabulous contribution as always. Wonderful insights into the world of money. Lots to learn this evening here on The Money Show.